How is Christmas? All right. It was good. Slightly tiring, right? <laughs> but good. I'm sure you got to see a lot of extra relationships and family than you usually get to. So did I. Well, Dean, if you'd come up, uh, Dean's one of our six elders to bring our scripture. Um, we're going to be looking at Philippians chapter 2, as we did on Christmas. But instead of the first half of Philippians chapter 2, we're looking at the second half. So this has a special place in my heart, this scripture, because it's the first sermon I ever did. As a 19-year-old, I got to preach on this. And uh, I'll tell you later how that went. <laughs> Go ahead, Dean. Thank you. Philippians chapter 2, 19 through 30. If the Lord Jesus is, is willing, I hope to send Timothy to you soon for a visit. Then he can cheer me up by telling me how you are getting along. I have no one else like Timothy who genu genuinely cares about your welfare. All the others care only for themselves and not for what matters to Jesus Christ. But you know how Timothy has proved himself. Like a son with his father, he has served with me in preaching the good news. I hope to send him to you as soon as I find out what is going to happen to me here. And I have confidence from the Lord that I myself will come to see you soon. Meanwhile, I thought I should send Epaphroditus back to you. He is a true brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier. And he was your messenger to, to help me in my need. I am sending him because he has been longing to see you, and he was very distressed that you heard that he was ill, and he certainly was ill. In fact, he almost died, but God had mercy on him and, on, and also on me so that I would not have one sorrow after another. So I am all the more anxious to send him back to you, for I know you will be glad to see him, and then I will not be so worried about you. Welcome him with Christian love and with great joy and give him the honor that people like him deserve. For he risked his life for the work of, of Christ, and he was at the point of death while doing, what he, doing for me what, he, what you couldn't do far, from far away. Thank you, Dean. Well, let's pray. Lord, as always, I pray that you bless your word that it would encourage our hearts. Lord, I pray that one of these verses would, um, even all of these verses, would uh, catch the attention of a heart today. That you would speak to them. That you would minister to them. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so here's the story. I'm 19 years old. I'm in my first year of college. And our home church planted a new church in St. Paul. It was actually a fellow from Ames, Iowa that came up to plant the church and uh, planted a church in uh, the west side of St. Paul and then in uptown in Minneapolis, which is called the graveyard of church plants. <laughs> but uh, with God, 
all things are possible, and that church is still there and doing well. And so I was able to join that when I was 19. It was their first year, and it was a way to kind of spread my wings and kind of away from my parents' church, but still not too far away because it was still, um, there's about 20 of us kind of commissioned from my home church to join this thing. And in that first year, we had an opportunity for some extra people to preach. And so I was in my first year as a pastoral ministry major up at Northwestern College, and enthusiasm off the charts, right? And so I said, yeah, I, wanna, I want a chance to do that. And our new church was going through the book of Philippians to see what does it mean to be a church? What's our, our mission? And uh, Philippians is all about being unified together in the progress of the gospel. And, and so we divided up the chunks of Philippians, and this was what I got. I got this section about Timothy and Epaphroditus. And so I grabbed all the Bible studies I'd been doing in that last year or two. I grabbed all my textbooks from school for all the courses I was doing. And I was going to give the best sermon ever. And so I was going to teach it all. <laughs> that doesn't make for a very good sermon, by the way. <laughs> when I was done... We had, we had two services. The second one was then cross town to our other site. And on the drive over with the pastor I'd been mentoring under, I, I get in the car and he goes, you can't preach that again. <laughs> <laughs> now, I'm all about teachability, okay? So, okay. And then it sinks, it sinks in. Well, what am I going to say <laughs> for the second service? And he goes, stick to the text, right? This, this text is about Philippians and Timothy and Epaphroditus, and he preached about just everything but <laughs> the assignment, right? And so I took out my notes, I crossed off the beginning and the end, and I circled the middle <laughs> and added some more reflection. And after the second service, he said, good job. <laughs> And that stuck with me, right? Um, I think as a 19-year-old, I wanted to do a good job, okay? I didn't have the experience to necessarily know how to tackle a single passage. I think there was probably a little bit of a prove-it mentality as well, right? I wanted to impress. And uh, the first scripture we look at today is going to say, don't try and impress when you serve people. <laughs> you know, um, I also learned that Swinging for the home run often leads to a strikeout, okay? Sometimes it's okay just to get on base, um, especially when you're a rookie. Um, and so I learned a lot from that. And so it's kind of interesting to have a second opportunity to preach this. I can feel the same emotions rising um, a little bit. You know how, you know, you all have memories that stick with you and the emotion of it. Um, but I'm excited to, uh, to have another chance. <laughs> and I'm glad that that pastor gave me another chance. Even months later, uh, we were in the Gospel of Luke, and he said, all right, Rob, you want to take another try? I said, you bet. <laughs> um, and I'm glad for that grace. So today we're going to look at Timothy and Epaphroditus. Um, the first of these names you've probably heard 
often. I have a brother named Timothy. Okay. I do not have a brother named Epaphroditus. Okay, but you'll find that both these guys are very relatable. They look a lot alike. Do you notice that? And uh, they look a lot like Philip and Saul and these other servants we've been looking at. Um, not just because of the picture, but because of how the text portrays these examples. They look a lot like Jesus. That's why they look a lot alike. And so we'll go to our first scripture. And this was actually looked at last week at Christmas. And so Philippians 2, back in verse 3, says, this is just before giving the example of Christ. This is what Paul wants for the church of Philippians. And then later circles back to Timothy and Epaphroditus's Examples of living this out. And so he says, do not be selfish. Don't try to impress others, okay? But be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. And so then we skip down to verse 19. And Paul commends these two guys, Timothy and Epaphroditus, to the church as examples of they're doing this. And look at some of the similarity here. He says, um, if the Lord Jesus is willing. Now, I, I love that view of Jesus, that he is Lord. And therefore, if he doesn't will this, it's not going to happen. <laughs> I just love the humility in that already. He says, I hope to send Timothy to you soon for a visit, which means he's not sending Timothy yet. Um, I'll note that this letter was written by Paul and Timothy, Philippians 1 verse 1. It's not just Paul writing this letter, it's Paul and Timothy. And these two guys planted this church 10 years prior, around 50 AD. And so they're well-known, well-respected, founding pastors, all right? There's a special spot in a church's heart for founding pastors. And they're um, wanting to visit them and writing this letter. By the way, when Timothy was part of this church, he was about, I think he was about 19. They say he was in his late teens, early 20s. And so um, now this is 10 years later. And then in verse 20, it says, I have no one else like Timothy who genuinely cares about your welfare. All the others care only for themselves and not for what matters to Jesus Christ. So that sounds a little like earlier in Philippians when it says to look to the interests of others. It says that Timothy is looking out for the welfare of this church. And I like that. Even as a young Timothy, his number one requirement for serving was care about people. <laughs> you, can't coach, you can't teach that. <laughs> you can teach people how to do that, but if that's not in your heart, you're only going to go so far. And that was in Timothy's heart. It had genuine care for this church, for the people in it. Paul says, I, I don't have anyone like him. And I don't think that's to mean that Epaphroditus doesn't care. Okay, 
But in the context here back in Philippians chapter 1, Paul says that there's people in the church in Philippi, even leaders, who don't care. <laughs> he even uses these terms for these guys. Back in chapter 1, verse 15, he mentions that they're serving, but they're serving out of jealousy. They're serving out of rivalry. They're serving out of selfish ambition, insincerely, false motives. Even so far that he says that they're serving so as to intend to inflict pain on Paul. <laughs> and yet they're doing it under this guise of, of service. And Paul's trying to clarify, that's not how Jesus serves. And that's why Timothy's different. He's not doing it for the accolades. He's doing it because he generally cares about people. These others are just simply pretending to serve. But they don't have a heart for service. Verse 22 continues. It says, you know how Timothy has proved himself. I think that there can be a point here that it's okay to give time for someone to be proven. It's okay for there to be such a thing as earned trust. Sometimes our culture talks about trust as if it's a right. <laughs> like offended that you might not trust someone. And yet my dad would always say, have you proved yourself trustworthy? Right? And it's okay to give time and watch the fruit of someone's life before you trust. And that takes time. That takes time to build. And for Timothy, it had been over 10 years here where he was able to prove that he was generally caring about other people as his reason for serving says that like a son with his father, he has served. That word for served, it's not the word for deacon. That's a word for, for serve. This is a word for slave. Philippians chapter 1 verse 1 starts off with saying, Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ. They saw themselves to that extent. That they were bound their lives were bound to this. So it says, He is slaved with me in preaching the good news. I hope to send him to you just as soon as I find out what is going to happen to me here. And I have confidence that the Lord, from the Lord, that I myself will come to see you soon. So Paul most likely is in Rome at this time. Either way, though, he's saying, he's trying to see what's going to happen to him. He's probably in some hot water. <laughs> he needs Timothy close by at this point. And so he's not going to send Timothy to the church in Philippi. And I bet the Philippians reading this are like, ah, oh, rats. <laughs> we are really hoping for Timothy. <laughs> Instead, they get Epaphroditus. <laughs> I can relate to Epaphroditus in a lot of ways here. I like this guy as we continue on, but... Um, I want to show you that 
the way that Paul is talking to Timothy here, you see that unity? As they both are serving Christ together, that's what creates unity in the church. I've been on some short-term mission trips, and I'm always amazed at the sense of unity we have by the end of that, because we're about the same focus. Not about what I get, what you get, but it's about what they get, right? And we're serving alongside one another. That's the purpose of this entire letter. Back in chapter 1, verse 17, it's, or 27, excuse me, it says that we're above all to live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Then whether I come and see you again or only hear about you, I will know, okay, here's the purpose, that you would, are standing together with one spirit, one purpose, fighting not against each other, which is actually happening here. At the end of the letter, there's two women that can't get along. That's civil war there in Philippi. And he says, no, that you're fighting together, right? You're serving together for the faith, which is the good news. So who's Epaphroditus? Let's go to verse 25. It says, meanwhile... I thought I should send Epaphroditus back to you. Already, why back to you? This guy's from Philippi. He went on a mission and he's being sent back. The Philippians might have a red flag at this point. Did Epaphroditus mess up? <laughs> Did he fail? Why is he being sent back? We sent him to go help Paul, and Paul says, I don't want him. <laughs> Uh-oh, what's going on here? Well, Paul then leans into some very high regard for Epaphroditus, and I think somewhat to help the church accept this. He says, he is a true brother. He is a co-worker. He is a fellow soldier. Continues that he is a messenger and you can't see it in the New Living Translation, but the Greek will give a word here for the word help, that he is a minister. And so Paul takes the opportunity to affirm this guy, that he is all of these things, and therefore should be treated as such. The one that really stands out to me, and that for the few that do remember Epaphroditus in the Bible, he's often remembered as being a fellow soldier. That's a unique one. That's not used very often. I think this fits the theme of the civil war that's happening in Philippians, that they're to fight together, not against one another. As I did a little research, Philippians, the church in Philippi is also... They understand this concept of civil war. They were a town of about 10,000 people, and yet on the, in the farms and fields surrounding that town was where the Roman civil war happened after Julius Caesar was assassinated, where over 200,000 soldiers faced off to decide who would be in charge of the Roman Empire. Caesar Augustus won that battle and became the first Caesar of the Roman Empire. This was only a generation ago from when this was written. Maybe two. But I bet 
in the aftermath of that war, this town, 10,000 people, see 200,000 soldiers facing off. They understand what war and civil war looks like, and it wasn't pretty. I bet they looked out their windows to those farm fields to say, holy smokes. <laughs> we got more bodies in the fields than crops, okay? <laughs> they, see, they saw what happened. And there's an intention here for Epaphroditus to be a fellow soldier fighting together, not against one another. Another thing about Epaphroditus is that his very name The word for, for ep means for, for the purpose of. And then in the middle, you have Aphrodite, which is a Greek goddess. So his name is that he's to be for the service of this goddess. And ironically, he is an example of being for service, the creator, sustainer, redeemer, Jesus Christ. Not serving the whims of culture, but the transcendent truth that Jesus Christ is Lord. That is where he decides to align his life. Now let me tell you why I like Epaphroditus so much. Verse 26. This shares his situation. He says, I am sending him because he has been longing to see you, and he was very distressed that you heard he was ill. And he certainly was ill. In fact, he almost died, but God had mercy on him and also on me, so that I would not have one sorrow after another. So I am all the more anxious to send him back to you, for I know you will be glad to see him, and then I will not be so worried about you. About a year after I had done that first sermon as a 19-year-old, I turned 20, went back to school for my sophomore year of college, I hit my head and a captain's practice playing basketball suffered a brain injury, and I had to drop out of school for two years, living in my parents' basement. I've shared that story a few times. Um, you'll probably keep hearing it because it was, it was core for me growing up. It's an ambitious 20-year-old uh, to be told by the doctors, don't do anything, don't do anything. That drives you a little crazy. And so I really had to seek out, okay, who, who am I? When everything's stripped away, who am I? This Epaphroditus, he got sick. He was wanting to serve the Lord. At that time, I was studying to be a pastor, and yet I had to face, come face to face with the fact I, I might not get better, and I wasn't getting better. And so with my limited ability, I had to face, God would still expect me to serve him. I still want to. It's just going to have to look different, I guess. That's what happened for Epaphroditus. It wasn't glamorous. He was getting sent back because he was sick. I wonder if he felt a little bad about that. <laughs> right? He's probably very enthusiastic to go help Paul, and yet he gets sent back. few other things I like about this. Is it shows Paul really cares about Epaphroditus. <laughs> Sometimes Paul can be a little hard-nosed, but here he does a good job. He's not task-oriented. It's not the time to be task-oriented here. He says, this person matters. <laughs> this relationship matters. Even though he's not producing, 
The guy's sick. More importantly, Paul's giving commendation to Timothy, Epaphroditus. But I'll show you later that ultimately his commendation comes from God. His faithfulness is accounted as a pleasing offering to God. And that's what makes Epaphroditus special. is how God views him. Not how people view him. Not how the world measures him. But because of God, how God sees him. Another thing I like is it's okay to acknowledge limits. <laughs> As we do this Portrait of a Servant series, what could be producing in all of us is a source of endless guilt. <laughs> we could always do more. We could always do more. We could always do more. And it's okay here for them to see, you know what? It takes discerning through the Holy Spirit to decide what's on your plate and what's not. They have boundaries there. We don't want to do more than what God's called us, but we don't want to do less. Amen, church? So verse 29. Paul makes sure that Epaphroditus gets a good welcome. And I think he was nervous that he might not. He says, welcome him in the Lord's love and with great joy. And this is really touching to me. Give him honor that people like him deserve. For he risked his life for the work of Christ. He was at the point of death while doing for me what you could not do from far away. Paul was worried he might not get much respect. I kind of know what that feels like. Um, during that brain injury, to go from pats on the back to nothing. You know, it was, it was never about the pats on the back, but it can mess with your identity. Flattery <laughs> and praise can misplace your identity just as much as criticism. And so during that time in my life, I started to realize, um, you know, I, I was doing what God called me to do. I was at home recovering. Um, during that time, I made a friend. He was a neighbor a few houses down. We had board game night every Monday. He was in his late 30s, dying from ALS. And I remember I wrote him a thank you note once. Just thank you for being a good friend. He couldn't move. I couldn't think very well. We made a great team. <laughs> He'd tell me to, what to go grab, and I, we'd hang out. We'd, we hung out multiple times a week. And I remember I wrote him a thank you note. Just thanking him for a good friend. I could tell that meant a lot to him. You know, he was doing what he was supposed to be doing. He's, he was playing his role. Yet the world calls that pathetic. I felt pathetic. I couldn't do, I couldn't be the human doing that I thought I was supposed to be. But we're not supposed to be a human doing. We're supposed to be a human being. And when that finally started clicking for me, I sat home. My mom said, Rob, what'd you do today? Instead of saying nothing, I said, I'm being loved by God. Your identity doesn't get any richer than that. You add to that and you diminish 
You don't add to gold by mixing other stuff in. Okay? We have an identity of pure gold that we are the beloved of God. And I find myself, as I interact with y'all, I see people that are suffering, and they're sick, and yet I see them doing it well. I find myself saying, I respect that. I find myself saying, good job. That's tough to do. And yet as the church, we can encourage our brothers and sisters that are in an Epaphroditus spot to say, good job. There's this passage earlier in here about doing everything without grumbling and complaining so that you might shine like stars in the sky in a wicked and perverse generation. When people do the tough work of taking the Epaphroditus path, you shine like a star. And I know it takes everything out of you. And I respect that. Over in chapter 4, we see what Epaphroditus did do. He, he did accomplish this part of his mission. It says, at the moment I have all I need and more. So Epaphroditus was part of that. Paul says, I am generously supplied with the gifts you sent me with Epaphroditus. They are a sweet-smelling sacrifice that is acceptable and pleasing to God. Oh, I love that. It's to God. It's not to man. Therefore, the good job comes from God. Verse 19, it says, And this same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. Now, maybe you're here and you're saying, I don't feel like I'm this, this son, this brother. I don't, if Paul knew me, I don't know if I'd get that commendation of being a fellow co-worker, a fellow soldier. Well, before you're disheartened, I want to show you verses 12 through 18 to close. Verse 12 says, Dear friends, you always followed my instructions when I was with you, and now that I'm away, it's even more important. Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. So we're called to obey, just as Jesus was willing to pour out his life to obey, to even death on a cross. But here's the encouragement. Where does this power or even desire come from? Verse 13, for God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power 
to do what pleases him. Wow. When I do something with the desire, with a power that looks like Jesus, it doesn't come from me. That's Jesus doing it through me. And when we see Jesus in one another, it's not flattery to say, hey, good job. That is praising God. We ought to glorify God where we see him. And so when it's in one another, we ought to say and affirm, hey, I saw Jesus in you just now. Nothing good comes from us, but through Christ in us. That's what this verse is saying. That's where the power comes from. We abide in him. And then he lives through us. He fills us up, and then we can pour ourselves out. Verse 14 is this part where it says, Kind of interesting how he measures success here. Do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Hold firmly to the word of life. Then on the day of Christ's return, I will be proud that I did not run the race in vain and that my work was not useless. He has his eyes on the commendation of Christ. And we know that our work is not in vain. It is not useless. Even if the world tells us it is. Even if in the quiet moments of a parent's basement at 20 years old, the enemy whispers in your ear that you're useless. It is not. For what's done for Christ will last. Verse 17 says, four times here he's going to use the word joy. And even in chapter 3, verse 1, he says, again, to rejoice for it safeguards your faith. It's a great sign that you're serving God and not man. We serve man out of fear, but we serve God out of joy. And he says, I will rejoice even if I lose my life, pouring it out like a liquid offering to God. Just like, see it again here, your faithful service is an offering to God. And I want all of you to share that joy. Yes, you should rejoice, and I will share your joy. Joy is contagious. Serving God is contagious. So is self-centeredness. <laughs> but let's be a church that Paul so desperately wanted the Philippians to be that was unified in the progress of the gospel, sharing in that joy. So if you're looking for a New Year's resolution, I encourage you to resist what our culture tells us. Our culture says, it's about me. Right? It's an iPhone. It's an i everything. Okay? 
Our culture doesn't serve Aphrodite. We serve self. But as Epaphroditus served God instead of Epaphrodite, let us serve God instead of self. It's a New Year's resolution. You could adopt this from a man named Charles Studd. Came to Christ as a result of D.L. Moody's ministry. He served in the missions the rest of his life, and it was with this conviction and with great joy that only one life will soon be passed, but only what's done for Christ will last. I don't know what God has put on your plate. I know tomorrow, Monday morning, your alarm's going to go off, many of you will have on your plate a job. God's called you to that. That's important. You can shine like a light. You can serve God with joy. Many of us tonight will have an opportunity to decide who does dishes after dinner. All right? Opportunity not to serve man, but to serve God. To serve your spouse. Kids, listen up to serve your parents. God wants to kids, use kids in our lives too. They're important contributors. You encourage us as you serve. So let's serve together, church. Let's pray.